You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. So if, if you look through the scriptures, if you look through your Bible, uh, you'll feel, see a lot of descriptions of what the church is meant to be, and, and people have a lot of different ideas about that. And you see a lot of instruction, even how the church is meant to be organized. And I think that's great. Um, I think some of what's important as we look into that is sometimes if we're not careful, what the church becomes is just an organization, or just a structure, or, or uh, God forbid, even a business, Right? Like it can become like a business plan. And, and I would suggest actually some of those principles are really valuable. Systems, structures, organization. And I think the scriptures teach us how to do that well. Um, but I think it's significant that when we look at people say like the Apostle Paul who wrote much of the New Testament, when he describes the relationships in the church, um, he often uses the language associated with family. He talks a lot about familial kind of language here. And one example, 1 Timothy chapter 5, one of the letters Paul wrote, he says, don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, Young, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. And it's just simply giving us this image that when we think of this, um, and, and part of why I'm, we're doing this is I want to help you guys. Don't just think of church as this thing you go to, or even this building. I, I love this building, stained glass. You can't really see it from the outside, which is a shame, but epic. It's beautiful. And all of this wonderful programming, it's all great. But guys, don't lose sight of the fact that the church is also the relationships represented right here, and those relationships are familial. There's a family language attached to this. This shouldn't just be another meeting. It shouldn't just be another event on the calendar, but the church is a family. So today, uh, what, we, what I want to uh, lead us through is, what does it look like to be family when lived out in a church like ours? You know, what does it mean to be family? And, and we're just going to go through one verse to kind of unpack this. Uh, if you have your Bibles or it's up on the screen, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble. And we see some basic instructions here. I mean, just how to live life, really. But I think we can extrapolate that to see how are we meant to live as a family in the context of a local church. And really, uh, in this translation, you don't see the crux of it, but really the hinge that all of this is falling on is this idea of being like-minded. It's talking about unity. Other translations, they'll actually say unity of mind, like be joined together in common thought. It doesn't mean we don't have diversity, but there's also something that brings us together. Um, I also love another translation that, that describes it, live in harmony with one another. And I kind of want to use that as the way we approach what does it mean to be a family in the context of church? What does it mean to live in harmony? Uh, because... Uh, and we're not going to do therapy from the stage, so just do that. But if I ask you to raise your hand if you know anyone from a dysfunctional family, I'm guessing a lot of hands would probably shoot up here. Um, some of you might even be thinking of your own families. And again, I'm not asking you to put up your hand because that's really awkward if you're sitting next to them, right? We don't, we don't want to do that. Keep your beefs to yourself right now. Um, we'll other times to bring out our beef, but... 
I mean, the reality is dysfunction. Even if you come from a relatively healthy family, is is actually pretty normal. For some of us, it's much more normal than you would probably be happy with. Um, but what I want to suggest for us here, and for some of us, is going to take a lot of imagination or or vision. But if we could imagine that God, He actually doesn't want us to live in dysfunctional relationships. Because that's how we weren't, we weren't created to be that way. He actually created us to thrive in relationship with one another. For some of us, when we hear relationship, we automatically go to a bad place. Because it's hard and it's full of pain. But God's design for us is actually to be in relationship. But that's a good thing. It's life-giving. It helps us to know him while we get to know one another. And I want to invite you to dare to imagine that it's possible to live a new and better way that that's God's design for us. The big idea for today is the church, and again, we might bring in baggage for what the church is, but in its core, the church helps us to learn how to live in harmony. The church is intended to help us, give us a means, um, not just ideology, but looking at one another as well, how to live in harmony. And, And my hope is that that doesn't just stay here at a place like this, but it goes out into our world. Oh, we're a little broken. <laughs> it's a little shattered. People have a little hard time getting along. Even school drop-offs. Some of you parents, like you're not looking forward to tomorrow because that's like the crux of your like pain. Dropping off kids and like you got like soccer moms giving you the finger out the window and stuff. It's like, it's a scary place, right? I'm sorry. Am I allowed to stuff say something? It's, it's all right. It happens. I mean, it happens. But we were created to live in harmony. And the church is meant to be a place where we learn relationships that show us how to do that. So we're going to see some different prongs then that talk about this harmony. One, um, we see there's this idea of being sympathetic. You know, just a simple understanding of being uh, sympathetic is, is you just understand people's feelings. You understand others. Uh, you see their perspectives on stuff. You get into their lives. Slightly different than empathy where you actually enter in, but you like see and, and I would suggest if we look at uh, church, how we can be a family is uh, the church, it forms us in care. The church forms us in care. And, and you know, I'm, I'm just prepping you. I'm not getting any rocket science stuff here. This is like really basic religion. But the church is intended to show us, teach us how to care for one another. And that's part of forming us to be more like Jesus. I, I think a practical way to understand care, it's just even learning how do we listen how do we become people who learn how to listen? Um, one verse that comes to mind, um, it's, not, it's not on the screen, but James 1.19, where it says, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Like, that's part of maturing in Jesus. I would suggest maturing in families, learning how to listen. Basically, like the opposite of social media, opposite of Twitter, right? It's like that anti-Twitter. Like, stopping and learning to hear one another. And I, I want to say that not that there's not appropriate times to say something. Some of us, we need to learn how to speak up when it's appropriate. Like that's also there. But what I'm trying to suggest is don't underestimate the power of a listening, attentive ear for the health of a family in a church. When we are so prone and quick to want to offer things and say stuff and have to give our voice, which is all has a time, but there's power in being that person who's sitting there and listens, is attentive. Um, one of my favorite books is by actually two, um, two 
good older brothers, Rich Plass and Jim Cofield. They wrote, wrote this book called The Relational Soul. And it's a great resource if you need healing in your souls. I would, I would encourage you. I need it, so I read it constantly over and over. Um, and, and a lot of the thoughts here are even from that work. But one of the things they get into is learning how to understand your story. Learning how to understand some of the things that have helped to uh, develop the relational blueprint of who you are. Because, I mean, the, the amazing thing is we come here together like as a church and, and you might not know that many people in here and all you see is what you see, right? You see what we have here on August 28, 2022 with your eyes, with your senses, especially if they're new. But man, the truth of it is hey, we all bring different stories. We all bring different things that are really underneath the surface that we're not going to be able to see just from observing one another. But it's there. And, and it frames how we approach life. Oftentimes how we do life, it's not based on what's going on today. It's like deeply rooted stuff that's been written in our stories. We have a relational blueprint. And some of the healing process then, it involves needing to go into some of that story, including your memories. And I don't know if any of you have ever done that. There's some really good memories, but yo, there's some painful memories that some of us carry. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to share stuff like this from the stage, but it's okay. Right? Well, this is not being like put on the internet or anything, right? Um, but man, I'm so, one of the things I'm happy about recently is I just started with a new therapist and man, it's been great, except for the fact that I need like a box of Kleenex with me, like in these, because we get in there and it's just simple stuff. He's like, just tell me some, tell me some of your story. Tell me, share some of when you were a kid. Let's get into some of these things. And I start talking about stuff. Like when I'm like a little kid, and waterworks. Because as, as, and I know to you there, I look young and sexy, but I'm not. I'm old and whatever, right? This is like a long time ago. But man, it's, it's crazy how even some of those old stories and memories are still with me today. Even like things like 40 years ago, I, it's as if I'm sitting there in the room with that kid. It's insane. Some of the wounds, obviously, that probably have not been fully healed as they needed to be. I don't know if this is going to disappoint some of you. You can learn all the systematic theology in the world, and if you don't get into some areas of the soul, it's like putting on a lot of bandages, like not that cheap, like cheap version, but like good bandages, but it's still a bandage. But the wound is like still there. And that's some of the journey I've been going on, but all to say, our, our stories can be painful. And I think some of us, maybe you have gone through that, but what they suggest, uh, Plass and Cofield, is that this act of telling your story, like verbalizing your story out loud or written form, but just communicating your story to someone who listens well, this is some of the way that your relational blueprint gets changed. Like telling your story Having people who listen to you well, that's some of the ways that the Lord actually heals us and takes some of those wounds that are very real and for some of us that are really fresh. And our story becomes recalibrated and there's actually a hope for change. Because an empathetic, sympathetic listener, they help us to gain a deeper understanding of our emotions. Because I'm guessing for you, if you've got deep stuff, you've wrestled around with it a lot. But maybe you're like me, sometimes that gets even more confusing. But there's something in the power of sharing with someone, whether it's a professional or whether it's even just someone who's a really good listener. And, and the relationship with this listener then, 
it starts to give us a helpful emotional response. As someone hears some of your pain, some of your story, even the good stuff, and they say, I hear you. Wow, that must have been really hard. Wow, I'm so impressed that you're standing here right now and where you're at. That must have been really painful to go through. I'm so sorry. Like as you start to hear these things, you can start to see how that's your reality as well. Not just reading a book, but we're created for relationships. So your relationships speak back to you and actually help you to become rewired even subconsciously. All to say, guys, listening is one of the most powerful ways that we help to care for one another as we help to experience soul healing in our church. And that's one of my hopes for this village. Man, y'all look real pretty from here. Like, I mean, when I say that, I hope that's not like demeaning. Y'all look really good, right? Put together, you look ultra super Christian. Like, but man, we know, right? We got some deep stuff there, some painful areas. One of the best things we can do to care for one another is to be a listener. So just for you to be aware, as we're looking at this coming year in the church, uh, we're making a high priority on a deeper dive discipleship. Discipleship is just a fancy word for helping to become more like Jesus. And I'm really excited for some opportunities that we have coming pretty soon um, to give you ways to grow in knowledge, almost like classes. Like we think that's important. We actually think it's really critical to learn as much as we can. So we want to do that as part of the discipleship journey, going deeper, learning information. But guys, Something we say in our church frequently, following Jesus, is it's, it's, it's deeper than just acquiring more information. That's a really important part of it, but it's got to involve other things as well. And part of our strategy in the church then is community groups that Christy mentioned earlier, different groups happening throughout the city, different nights. Um, and I hope you learn something there, but that's really not the goal of those. I'm, ju I'm just laying it out here right now. We will have opportunities to grow in more knowledge and, and, and uh, information, but the goal of those is discipleship, but the way I would describe it is relational discipleship. Because we need to learn to be in context where we're walking with other people and trusting just as much as information and knowledge and books we learn, we learn as much about our souls from walking with other people. We need that context. We need a place where we can start to practice listening to others, but also other people listening to us. And community groups, it's not the only place it will happen, but it's one of the main sources in our church. And I'll add this on. One of the best ways that we grow in these things is being in settings where the world isn't just about us. That's hard because for some of you, your mom has told you since you're little, oh, you are the center of the universe. And I'm sorry, that's not reality. It actually sets you up for pain. It sets others up for pain. But part of our church then in helping one another to grow and be formed more is being in settings where you learn to listen to one another. You learn not to just center yourself, but you learn to also be with other people. Because for some of us, maybe one of the biggest areas of uh, transformation God wants to do in us is free us from making everything revolve around us. Some of us are a little extra, right? I mean, let's just be honest, right? We get to a place that it becomes all, oh, we're like the sun. And, it, and God wants to free you to realize, hey, you're really important. You're actually probably more precious than you realize, but you're not the only one who is. 
there are these other people as well. Learn how to listen to them and have them listen to you as well. Because the amazing thing is, when you listen and you care, you help others so much. But here's the it helps you too, because you grow and mature as a follower of Jesus. So again, groups are launching the week following Labor Day. We encourage you. Again, it's not like a checklist thing where you're a better Christian if you do that, but we think it's part of the ways that we grow in relational uh, maturity by being in a setting like that. So we care. As we move on in verse 8, it next says, love one another. And just very simply, um, the church forms us in love. The church forms us in love. So a local church like we have here at the village, um, it's, it's one small part of a much larger family. We want to make really clear, like the village is not the end-all, be-all of every church. I mean, I hope you like it here, but it's not like the whole world. We're part of something much larger. Um, but it's part of learning what does it mean to love those who are in the context of your local church here. That, it's important. And, and being family, it means not just liking one another, but actually like loving one another. Like not just tolerating one another, not just getting through, okay, I got to see him once a week. I, I can make it through that. All right, just don't come talk to me. It means actually actively loving one another. And I would suggest that that kind of genuine love for one another, it requires authenticity and this kind of honest approach to life. If we're going to truly be able to love one another like that. Um, I watch way too much TV, including K-dramas, and you guys know that, right? I shared that. You're like, yo, you ever read the Bible? Because you have all these stories. I read the Bible too, right? But I, I, I love well-made like shows and movies. And one show that I binged pretty recently is Succession. Um, really good show. I mean, it's not all, it's not even PG-13. It can get pretty, pretty rough, but I mean, it's really well-made. And the acting in particular is astounding. Like the actors in this, and there's one actor in particular, um, Kendall Roy, who's played by Jeremy Strong, just amazing, right? And there's a reason he get all the awards, right? He's just really good. And, and there, was, there have been articles written about him and his approach. You, you've probably heard about things like method acting, where you immerse yourself in the character. Yo, this cat take it to a whole nother level. To the point where his other actors, his co-actors saying, oh yeah, he a little too much. He like never stop. He like so intense about his character. He becomes Kendall Roy. It's a little scary. And some of them, they're like, honestly, it's a little annoying. He needs to learn to lessen up a little bit. It's too much. And, and you, you start to understand his approach is he can't do it if he's not all in. And it becomes, it is as if he actually is Kendall Roy. The thing is, whether you are a professional actor or not, if, it, if you are in here, I'd love to talk with you. I'm, I would love to find out more about that. But whether you're an actor or not, we all do this kind of to a certain extent. Like we all kind of role play in a certain way. We all kind of immerse ourselves in a certain character. And Plass and Cofield, they call this the false self. The false self is this like construction of who you are that you start to go by in different ways. And, and it's important for us to understand the false self is actually a protective mechanism. Like it might come off in unhealthy ways, but the reasons we probably created this false self is to protect ourselves. It, it's the image. And maybe some of you are freshmen here. I guarantee there's some false self-construction going on. It's like, I'm going to a new city. No one knows me. I am going to be, it's, it's cool. I, I did that too. I probably do it every year, right? 
but it, it's a socially appropriate way that we craft so that we can receive affirmation and praise. Because contrary to our true self, which we feel is not very valuable, this false self is a way to say, this is what people will like. This is what will allow me to be part of the crew. This is what's going to have people celebrate and honor me where my true self, man, it's just kind of lame, kind of embarrassing, awkward. But the thing is, at our core, our construct, it's still an image. Some of the practical things might be true, but it's foreign in the sense of being our true identity as an image bearer of God. It's something we've made that we think is more palatable. The thing is, for a lot of us, I'm there, so maybe some of you are, it's really hard to recognize that it's false because we've spent our whole life creating that image. Like, it's not, it's not something new usually. So it's hard, and we're masters at creating that image. And it's not done maliciously. Again, it's a protective mechanism because growing up, facing the world, it's really painful, especially when you see the things you wrestle with that are hard. It's scary to put out your true self. So we've created this false sense to protect ourselves because seeing the repercussion of us being out there and how we're going to be received, that can be really hard. And we do this to feel safe and secure because at the core, we don't trust God in who we are completely. We don't think it's enough. We think it's lacking. So we need to create this protective false self. And that's why a lot of us, what we bring to the the place of our relationships, it's our false selves. And sometimes it's pretty obvious to other people. Sometimes it's pretty deep. So we might not see it right away. But no wonder then that relationships are just really hard. Have any of you asked why are relationships so stinking hard? Maybe it's because we're not really getting to the deeper areas of these um, deeper issues of our false self. We're kind of staying on the surfacey level. And maybe why it's for some of us, even in church, it's just really hard to do relationships because we have the sense it just feels really fake. It doesn't feel very real. It doesn't feel very honest. And you know why you're feeling like that? Because it probably isn't, right? We're like at that level of false self and we're sharing these different images of ourselves, and we go home like, they don't know the real me. And it's why as a church, as a family, we need to go beyond the politeness of our relationships that are based on our false selves, but we need to seek the love that's found in Christ, which frees us for authentic honesty that we can actually be us before one another, even in all its gore, even in all its pain, even in all the things you've worked so hard in your life to keep hidden away, to actually feel like God sees me and knows me. I can also bring that out to these people who say they're my family and trust them with it. And it's part of growing in wholeness. It's part of being formed in Christ. But guys, it takes work to love one another in the deeper layers of who we are at the core. I'll be just real honest here. It's much easier to love some of your false selves. It's prettier. It's cleaner. It's much more manageable. It takes less time because you've worked hard to construct this image. I like loving the false self. But when you start to see some of the true selves, you're like, oh, wow. Oh, that goes deep. Oh, there's some, there's some family matters. Or, oh, there's some trauma. There, oh, there's some wounds. Oh, there's some real sore places that have never really been healed. 
and, and I'm, I got to walk with you now, but oh, that's tiring. Oh, that hurts me. I, I'm, I'm embodying some of that right now as well. It can be painful, guys. So again, if we reject the false self and we take this seriously, it's going to be messy. So I'm, I'm just saying that to you because it's really interesting to me that when people get upset about the relationships in church, like that people are not meeting my expectations. Guys, a place like the village, this should be the place where we should most expect people don't meet your expectations and we're not surprised by it because we know that we're being healed in relationship together. We're learning to put down our false selves, learning to be who we really are, trusting that God sees us, knows us, and loves us, and then the power of the Spirit, the family's going to actually do the same thing with us. And all the things we've been running from our whole life, there's going to be a people who want you to sit and rest and be you, the full you that you were meant to be in Christ to be that kind of family. Because family should be the safest place to keep it real. Doesn't mean it's clean. Families are messy, right? But the goal is not just to keep it real, to stay in that place, but that's where we see growth. Because we want to grow, but it has to start with honesty, guys. So I'll just put this out about, about um, we, we've had a couple, a couple years, right, just overall, but even in our home, we haven't had like real visitors in the home in like two plus years now, just because of life situations and different stuff. And man, um, like I used to love having people over because that's whenever I cleaned the house, right? <laughs> but that builds up after two years. You're like, wow, where do we start? Um, and there's a hesitation on part in letting people in because like, yo, that's really messy. It's kind of gross. What will people say? What will they think of us? I mean, they have such a high image of who, I, who you are, Dan. What are they going to think now? It's all going to come tumbling. It's, uh, I'm joking. I'm joking. But man, it's kind of scary to put yourself out there in the messiness. And, and I, what I feel the Lord has been inviting me into is you need to have some people visit your messy house because this is the real Hyun house. This is who we really are. Not in the false self. You need to let some people into this. So if I can speak to you in that metaphor... Um, what are some of the messy rooms of your life? Maybe it's a whole house. What are some of the messy rooms of your life? What are some of the spaces that maybe you've kept locked off with only you knowing the combination? Maybe issues of the past. Maybe issues of relational brokenness. Maybe addictions. Maybe failures things you're haunted by still. And to think about unlocking that door and letting someone in the room, that's like one of the scariest things you can imagine right now. It's, it's scary. It, it is for me. But even as it, feel, as it feels like stepping off a ledge into something we can't see, you know why we do it? Because we do it with the hope that when we are known when we're truly known, even in some of the darker spaces of who we are, and yet we receive love, that false self begins to erode. When you are received with who you are, that's how God starts to break down some of those areas of that false self. And guys, that's when a healthy family starts to form. So we love we then find in, in 1 Peter 3 that next instruction to be compassionate. Another way to think of this is, is uh, like other translations, it calls it tender-hearted. To be tender-hearted. 
And, and as I was preparing this I, this, I felt the Spirit just bringing to me, what does this look like tenderhearted for me? Is that the church is formed in gentleness. The church is formed in gentleness. And that word is a weird word. Maybe some of you love the word gentle. Um, but I don't think it's a high priority value for many of us in here. Um, like, if you got your performance review at work, and your supervisor said, yeah, she is just really gentle. You'd be like, yo! That's like fighting words, right? How dare you call it? Like, it doesn't come off as a very competent thing. It doesn't come off as like a secure thing. It doesn't come off as a leader. Gentle. Who wants to be known as gentle? That's like a doormat. Gentle people stink, right? I mean, I want gentle people in my life to step on, but I don't want to be the gentle person. But I think in our, word, in our world that feeds into harsh cruelty, gentleness is one of the most powerful and countercultural ways we reflect Jesus when we're able to be gentle. And the church should help us to form it in our words. Ephesians 4.29 is a verse that says, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. What, what kind of words come out of your mouth? I have a fast mouth. I've got to always catch myself as, man, I can be quick-witted, but it's not always gentle and kind. And the Spirit's been working on that with me. Tell me, yo, Holmes, you need to slow down a little before you say something. Is there gentleness coming out? When situations in your life feel like they're deserving of harshness, maybe in your family, maybe at work, maybe with your neighbors, choosing instead to be gentle, what would that look like? It's not only in our words, though. It's gentleness in our actions, right? 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. And I think there's something about gentleness that gets formed in us, and one of the ways the church helps is by giving you the opportunity to serve. Serving and giving yourself to other people. Because obviously, serving in our church and other places, it's about getting things done. And there is absolute value in that. And I want to just say to some of you who are serving in our church, I'm really grateful that you get stuff done. That's like epic. That's good. That helps us to do what we're doing. But at the same time, it's about more than just getting tasks done. It's more than just that, because part of what we're doing is we're addressing the values of our world that have formed us in ways that we're not aware of, and how many of us, our values are so performance-driven. Like, our whole world is about getting stuff done. It's about being efficient. It's about being a killer in your goals and your tasks and being the best at it and the most expedient. And, and, you know, it's all about being excellent. And again, that's really good. Achievement-oriented is not bad, but we can lose who we are if not, we're not careful. If it's just about the bottom line, we will step on people to get there. We will, people will be an impediment to us. They'll be in our way. They'll be annoying. And maybe God is inviting us to slow down and not just be driven by achievement. Because sometimes in the pursuit of getting where we want in life, we might listen to the gods of this age that say, if you want to get anywhere, you need to be cruel and harsh if you're going to be productive. But guys, we were created for more. Because we follow a God. He's all about productive. I mean, he made the world in like, you know, we, he's productive. But how does he change us? I love that one verse. His kindness leads us to Repentance. So I think about my life, and I'm fully deserving of God's hammer. 
there are times when I'm like, what the heck? Why can't you get this right? God should just like slap you upside your head. What does he do? He gives me kindness, leads me to repentance, and we're invited to a better way, guys. And serving then, it forms us to grow more like Jesus. And as you hear about opportunities to serve, again, it's about helping get things done. That's really good. But it's also very intentional about putting you in a place where it's not just about getting things done. It's not just about being excellent, but it's about being part of something where you're consciously serving others and you're going to be present and you're going to be gentle in learning how to be part of that community. So there's gentleness. And first and three, eight closes with a reminder that the church forms us in humility. This body forms in humility. Why are there so many re- reminders for humility in the scriptures? Because we're a people prone to conflict. We, we just are. Why do we have conflict? Because we're usually pride. We have pride. We're, we're stubborn. Stubborn attitudes, it doesn't lead to resolution. And humility is being honest with our shortcomings. It's saying, I need your help. How can we bear burdens unless those things are shared? We've got to be able to be um, humble enough to say, hey guys, I really need help here. I cannot do this by myself. It's saying I was wrong. Like actually saying out loud, I was wrong. That when we mess up, we don't make excuses. We don't rationalize. We don't pass the buck. We own it and we say, yeah, I, I did something wrong here. It's having to say, forgive me when we've harmed someone. And, and because the only reason we're in this life is because Jesus forgave us. So we become a people of forgiveness actively. So for some of us here, one of the most significant ways that the Lord will form you is by putting you in spaces where you need to learn to resolve conflict. One of the best ways for some of us how God's going to form us is not by reading a doctrinal text, that's really good, but it's by putting you in relational spaces where you're going to have to learn how to resolve conflict. Maybe for some of us, in a healthier way than you're used to in life. Because for some of us, conflict meant like throwing hands, right? (laughs) But God's inviting you to a better way. For some of us, conflict meant we run as fast as we can in the other direction. But rather than escaping from conflict, seeing how God might even be at work in it. So recently, one fun thing I've been able to get back into the gym is the weight room and trying to lift more, which I hadn't done for a long time. My first... um, thing was, dude, you're too old to be in here, right? Look around at everyone else. You are too old. You're going to hurt yourself. But I'm still pressing through it because I'm stubborn and not very bright, but I'm doing it. But then I was thinking, man, as fun as this is, at the same time, it's kind of ludicrous because the goal of strength training is trying to move things that don't want to be moved, right? I mean, that's what it, I mean, you even use words like tension, right? Increased tension is like, I thought we're supposed to be getting away from tension. We're adding on more tension. And it's like, the goal seems to be trying to like find a way to move these really heavy things so that you can lift even heavier ones. It's, it's kind of crazy. But what I was thinking probably in the middle of a really hard set is, man, this like feels like conflict in a way. Like that's like what conflict feels like. You're moving and pushing against something, trying to make something happen that doesn't want to happen. But the tension of conflict, when you're lifting weights, how do you get stronger? By conflict, by tension, by pushing hard, heavy things till you can do it so you can lift more heavy things. And that's how you get stronger. That's how you get stronger. I I also said, you can do it in an improper way. 
So it's not just conflict for you, because you can see a heavy weight and say, okay, I can get this and throw out your back because you have really bad form. That's not the goal either. The, but pushing done correctly, it's a critical part of growing in strength. I say all to say, I think we need kind of a version of that in relationships too. Like we need a sense where we need healthy approaches to conflict. We need to learn that it's not just something to run away from. It's not just something to bully. It's not to do it in wrong form because that can actually really hurt you. But to do it in a way where you are engaging in these things and it's going to feel like work. It's going to feel like tension. It's going to feel like you're pressing against something that doesn't want to be pressed. But in that, God is growing you in maturity. He's growing you in relational strength. And again, I, I just want to say this really clearly, unless if it doesn't come up, there's wisdom required to understand what's unhealthy conflict resolution. So if you come away from this sermon and you're like, okay, well, pastor said I need to resolve every conflict. And you've got some people that are really damaging to you if you would try to get into it. Like maybe your place is to be present there, pray for openness, but you kind of sometimes have to leave things with some other people to get their business straight as well. Does that make sense? I'm not saying put yourself in unhealthy situations just for the sake of resolving conflict. But what I am saying is God uses that to grow us in strength. But for all that really critical work to happen, what do we need? Humility. We need humility because in a culture that's prone to make excuses, the resolve to own my own stuff for the sake of reconciliation with others is essential, but it requires humility. So how do you rate on all these different aspects of family life? Care, love, gentleness, humility. I'm not gonna give you a report card, but if you had that, right? Like, how would you grade yourself? If you're like me and you automatically go to, oh man, I am barely passing that. Oh, I'm a failure. If you see where you're lack, welcome to this family at the village. Welcome if you see yourself falling short in care, in, in, in gentleness, in love in all of these different things, because I want you to hear me correctly. I'm not saying these are prerequisites to be in the family, but precisely because we are lacking, this is why we need family. This is why, because we can't do these things in the way we want, that's why we need the church. That's why we need this family. We need the kind of relations where we're pressing into one another enough that we're forced to stop being polite but those relations help us to reveal not just the dysfunction of our actions, but it reveals the heart that produces those things. That's what we're trying to get to. And by walking together as a family, even when we see ourselves falling short in those relationships, we continually point one another to the hope we have in the Lord. That's what we're doing here. Because if we're trying to do relationship well in a dysfunctional world, it's a regular reminder of why we need Jesus if we have any hope of being the family that the Lord intended. So the church, it can become many things, but we can't lose sight of family, guys. So in doing some of my prep research here, I, I was looking back on some old sermons. And this was literally, I, I see it was from September 16th, 2012. So almost literally a decade ago, I was looking at some old notes and I was talking about the church. And here's what I said almost verbatim. <clears throat> and I was dressing, addressing when we were in a really struggling time as a church financially. That's, that's the context. Guys, the church often becomes how we are going to pay the bills. That's what I said in the sermon, right? It's survival mode. And I'm not dismissing the need to think of those things. But the question we constantly have to ask ourselves is, why do we pay those bills? 
Why do we think about those things? Or in another way, what does success look like for us as a church? So remember, this was 10 years ago. And I remember sharing this one verse, Deuteronomy 4.9. Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen <clears throat> and so that they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Because success is, for a church is not just what we see today, but it's in the days to come. It's a family picture of what the church is. And guys, this is what I wrote down in that sermon. Guys, when we look forward, success for the village is what's coming in 10 to 15 years. That's what I said in that sermon. That's like today. And so when I see youth, when I see you guys here, that is what we are building towards, not just for the moment, but family means you're building and stuff for the big hall, for the long picture. And as I preached in that sermon 10 years ago, I'm a little morbid, right? But each of us is gonna die and be forgotten. <laughs> and we can invest in our own personal legacy or something that will far outlive us. Because that's what family does. Because in a world where even the church can become centered on me and my preferences. That's just reality, right? The Lord uses the relationships of family to give us living, walking reminders that it's not just about me, it's about my family too. And that includes those still to become part of the family, because this is not just talking about physical children, but spiritual. John 1, one of my favorite verses, verse 12 says, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of the man, but of God. Simply put, I wanna invite you, if not, you're not already part of this family, you have a place here. You are welcome to this home doesn't matter what kind of family you grew up in. It doesn't matter what religious background your family was. It doesn't matter what you did last week. It doesn't matter what your history is. One of the amazing things is God loves taking orphans and saying, you're mine. You're mine. And now you're going to be weird looking brothers and sisters with everyone else here. I love that. That's a picture of the church. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Amen. Let's stand. As we respond now in song in the Lord's Supper, I want to give that invitation to you. What does it look like for you to be part of this family here at the village? Maybe you're brand new. You're like, what the heck? This guy's crazy. It's okay. But what does it look like for you to take your next step to say, I want to be part of this family here? And I would encourage you to, to pray that before the Lord. But for some of you, maybe your invitation is to become a part of the larger family of God and say, I was separated from the Lord, but because of Jesus, his sacrifice, he gave me a path to become part of his family. And I want in. God, I want you to be my father. And I want to invite you into that. If you would love to talk more, talk to Pastor Julius or me or anyone else, we'd love to talk with you. But we're going to remember what unites as a family through this exercise called the Lord's Supper, communion, where we remember what unites us. Brothers from another mother, sisters from another mister, right? Under the same big daddy God, he brings us together. So I would invite you, if you are a Christian, if you're already in this family, come down during this first song, take one of these elements, bring it back to your seat, go back around the outside and wait, let's take it together as a family. But again, maybe this is new for you and God is inviting you to be part of family. Maybe today is your first communion saying, I want in, I want in and take it and take it together. 
So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for these men and women who are more than just people I sit with, they're family. And Lord, would we learn what it means to fight together for harmony in these different ways. Holy Spirit, do something we can't. So right now, even as we come to the table, thank you for Jesus who makes all this possible, does something miraculous, shows us and invites us into a life where even in our broken dysfunction, some of us, Lord, got a lot, that there's hope for a better way. And his name is Jesus. So help us, Lord. Thank you for the good news that does something we couldn't do on our own. So I invite you to sing, pray, come up, receive elements, and let's continue to respond to the Lord.